Alrighty. So, in case anybody isn't aware, today, this month, is the... We have now officially been doing the podcast for one whole year. One full year. Yes. And it's thanks to the handsome gentleman with the wonderful mustache and the hat in the back, Dustin Bingaman, our producer. I sing the songs, Jason tells the jokes, but all the hard work and success is owed to that guy in the back corner, so make sure you tell him thank you. Also, the genius behind all of the awesome merch, so make sure you say hey to him. If you've got any creative ideas, then I'm sure he'll be able to run with them. So everybody say hi to Dustin, he's the best. Hi, Jason. Hi, buddy. All right, here we are. We We're going to roll into the podcast, and... We never actually see this part whenever yeah. we uh, are, <laughs> whenever it gets edited in. Okay. Oh, yay. <laughs> right. We have to have the bumper on there because uh, Dustin also has to cut this out and then post it on the YouTube channel late tonight, even though he's also working the conference. So thanks for sitting through that, everybody. All righty. Summit Up Live. Uh, Jason and I are going to do a deep dive here into NIST revisions for 800-171 and what I would describe as a gentle primer into 800-172. 800-172 being the standard that is assessed by CMMC level three. There's really just not a lot of material or content or attention paid to the details of 172. So that's what you're going to be talking about, right? I think gentle is a very uh, kind term. Right. <laughs> We're just going to dive head first. Yeah, that's, absolutely. That's what we do. So we never have an agenda for the podcast usually, but uh, we'll try it out today. So like I said, we're going to go into the revision process, the current status of the revisions for what is known as the CUI series. Uh, we're going to try and visualize the tailoring process because uh, I guess I have an apology to make to everybody. I covered the tailoring process at CS2 Huntsville but I don't think I did a good enough job explaining what it is or visualizing how it works because NIST received almost 1,700 public comments on the initial draft of 800-171 Rev 2 and almost none of the comments actually addressed the tailoring decisions. It addressed formatting, it addressed details, it addressed phrasing and wording, but not the tailoring. And as we're gonna talk about, the tailoring decisions uh, are the part that affect the look and feel ultimately of your CMMC assessments the most. So we're gonna try to run that back and hopefully I do a better job explaining it. Uh, and then we're gonna talk about the specific initial draft of 171 Rev3, the, the actual decisions that NIST has made about tailoring and uh, sort of give you a handy dandy flowchart for how to think about submitting public comments when the next draft comes out. And then Jason will uh, take our hands from there and lead us into the wild and wacky world of 800-172. Okay, so the CUI series revision process. So just to get everybody on the same page, so NIST is revising, currently they are revising what is known as the CUI series. This is a series of documents, 800-171, 800-171A, 800-172, 800-172A. Collectively, they refer to this as the CUI series. It's very important to pay attention to the changes that occur in the CUI series because CMMC, as we've talked about before, is the program that assesses and verifies your implementation of the requirements in that series of documents. 
So as goes the CUI series, so goes CMMC. CMMC is a separate program from the requirements, so it's very important to pay attention to and participate in the change process for those requirements. Uh, just to keep everybody up to date, we expect that the drafts of the, the second draft of 800-171-REV3 and the initial draft of 800-171-A to be out this month, next month. It should be any day now. Uh, it will definitely be before the end of the year. And then according to NIST, they plan to have the final revisions. So no more changes, no more drafts. The final revisions of 171 and 171A in Q1 of 2024. We've talked about this before. They are very good about meeting their timelines or beating their timelines. It's not like rulemaking. It's not like DOD. So uh, they will absolutely have those documents out in that time frame. Okay. So as we've also talked about back at CS2 Tampa, as 853 changes, so changes the CUI series and thus changes the look and feel of CMMC. So even though the world of 853 feels very far away from the non-federal world of CMMC, 800-171 and the other derivative standards in the CUI series are directly influenced by the changes in 853. Therefore, the transitive property of changes through the CUI series means if 853 changes, your CMMC assessment is going to change. Okay, so as we stand right now, based off of the initial public draft of 800-171-REV3, if 800-171-A were published today, it would be 37% larger than the current set of requirements that you have to implement according to DFAR 7012. It would be 37% more questions that the C3PAOs who are up here would need to ask you in your CMMC level two assessment. That is a big increase. So we're waiting on them to publish uh, 800-171A, but we are able to tell what the size of that document would be based off of the new formatting of 171-REV3. Just so everybody is on the same page, a determination statement is what we are referring to here. These are the questions that are contained in 800-171A. It's goofy NIST parlance that they, they just can't call them questions. They have to call them determination statements, right? It's these questions in 171A that we're talking about. You currently have 320 of these. You're about to have 439 of them if it were published today, depending on how the next draft goes, depending on how the final revision goes. Okay, so public comments have the most leverage over the size of the CUI series when they focus on the underlying tailoring decisions that NIST makes about what ends up in that series from 853. Whether a control is determined to be relevant to protecting the confidentiality of CUI is the most important influence over how big or small 800-171 will be, thus how big or small your assessment will be, thus how much it will cost you, right? Most of the public comments focused on the formatting and the phrasing and the wording of the draft requirements, specifically the organizationally defined parameters. Everybody was focused on the ODPs. It is something that's important to focus on. However, if all the public comments are focused on the ODPs, you are conceding the fact that the requirement should be there in the first place, if that makes sense. So we need to be able to be informed enough about how NIST makes that decision so that we can submit public comments to say, we don't think that this control should be in this document. Formatting comes second to the decision for the requirement to be in the document. Just as a quick aside, is everybody familiar with that YouTube video, the exact instructions challenge, when the dad tells his kids to say, write down how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, 
and then you just watch these kids have a nervous breakdown over the course of 30 minutes because they'll say, get some bread, get some peanut butter, put the peanut butter on the bread, and he just puts the jar of peanut butter like on the bag of bread, right? And so he, they have to keep revising their instructions to tell this robot essentially exactly how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. When you submit comments to NIST, their goal with this standard is to come up with a set of requirements that protects the confidentiality of CUI. That is the peanut butter and jelly sandwich. If you submit a comment that says, it's expensive, I don't like it, it is bad, or this or that, it's Tuesday, anything other than it is or is not relevant to the protection of CUI confidentiality, it will not influence their decision to keep it in or out of the document, okay? Okay, so we're gonna try to visualize the tailoring process. So these are going to be for everybody's reference. There's going to be a lot of colors. We'll try to explain them as quick as, as, as we can here. Okay, so to get to the 110 requirements in 800-171, NIST had to do what's known as tailoring the 262 controls in the 853 moderate baseline. There's over 1,000 controls in 853. It is split into baselines. Because we're trying to protect CUI at the moderate impact level, we start with the moderate baseline. But we're not going to put all 262 controls into 800-171. Somehow we ended up with 110 controls. So way back in 2015, when dinosaurs roamed the Earth, NIST made some decisions about what was going to be in or not. The first thing that they said was some of these controls are only relevant to federal environments and very few of them actually are only specifically uh, oriented around federal environments. So they were categorized as what is known as a fed control taken out of the baseline. Then they said, well, we're only worried about data confidentiality. Not all of these controls are concerned with data confidentiality, so we're gonna call those NCO controls, those come out of the baseline. And then they said, well, clearly companies are already doing things that have to do with security, so we're gonna make a whole bunch of assumptions about what's already in place these end up being all your policies and procedures, all your precursor controls, all your risk assessment controls, all of the controls around managing external service providers. And this has really been the rub with the revision, but they did make all of these assumptions in this beautiful blue color. Everything else in CUI purple here was categorized as CUI. Now that doesn't mean they are CUI, this is the tailoring category to say they're relevant to CUI. So everything in purple here Every one of these little items corresponds to a control in 853 that you can look up with this chart afterwards when you have the slides. Everything in purple in 853 ends up in 800-171. Any item that gets categorized as CUI relevant shows up in this document, and then anything that it show, you know, is in that document ends up showing up in 800-171A. Like I said before, how they happen to phrase or format or word those controls comes second to whether they were colored purple or not. So our goal is to unpurple as many of these controls as possible or make more of them purple depending on what you want. You know, everybody's got their own thing. Okay, so like I said, once a control is determined to be relevant to CUI, once it was purple on that previous chart, then NIST goes through each of the items of a control and says, is every item relevant to protecting the confidentiality of CUI? So we've tailored at the control level, and we also tailor at what is known as the control item level. And this gets really weird if you really dig into the weeds, because some things in the control are determined to be relevant to CUI confidentiality, and some are not, even though they're all supposed to work together. 
I'll let you dig into the weeds and we can talk about it at lunch. It's, it gets really weird, right? But this is why 800-171 ends up being a surprise to everybody because the formatting that shows up in this document does not match the control items that need to be verified in this document. And so because they are separate documents, everybody gets taken by surprise. Okay, so as of CS2 Huntsville, we were waiting to see what they were going to do with the new items that came in with 853. There's gonna be all these changes. What color will those boxes be? That will determine what shows up in 800-171 Rev 3. So the first thing that they did was they changed this uh, 853 baseline. Everything in black is the controls that they withdrew. Anybody that's read 853, anybody that's read 800-171 R3 draft knows that withdraw does not mean withdraw, right? It's NIST nonsense. It means that they took those control items and they shoved them into a different control. The law of conservation of NIST controls means once it shows up in the document, it never goes away. It just shows up somewhere else. Okay, so once they withdrew controls, now we've got all these new controls. So 853 Rev5 added 47 controls to the moderate baseline. We need to figure out what color these new controls are going to be. They said a handful of them are fed, so a handful of them are only relevant to the federal environment. They said a handful of them are not relevant to CUI confidentiality. <clears throat> they said two of them were NFO assumptions, naughty, naughty, because they said they wanted to get away for making assumptions. And then as you can probably guess, we only have purple left. So most of the controls that were added to the baseline were considered to be relevant to CUI confidentiality. And then they went back and they looked at their previous coloring from the 853 Rev 4 moderate baseline and they changed some of those assumptions, right? And guess what color they were? They were all purple. So we had a massive increase in the number of purple boxes here from 853 Rev 4 to 853 Rev5, which means you're going to have a cascading effect where 171 will be bigger, and therefore 171A will be bigger, and therefore CMMC will be bigger. Do you think, based off of these colors, that we can assume Ron Ross's favorite color? Uh, well, these are my colors, oh. and uh, it was, uh, yeah, but I definitely think that... Uh, so you, know, you like the color purple? Uh, yeah, sure, yeah, yeah, of course. It's great color. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough to try to visualize, because if you just flip through the documents and they say, this is a piece of this control. There's, there's no way to see what they're doing, right? So I would encourage everybody, you have access to these slides. When the next draft comes out, we need to look at the control at the bottom of each control. It says, this came from 853 control AC-22. Go to this chart, and if it's purple, we need to convince NIST to keep it purple or unpurple it, boo, yay, boo, whichever side you're on, right, we have to look at this chart and say, do you agree with their decision or not? Okay, so like we said, here's a handy dandy flow chart. When the next draft comes out and you look at the previous chart with the draft, if that color is purple, right, the question to ask yourself is, is the security control that you are looking at relevant to protecting the confidentiality of CUI? If not, then why, right? And your public comment to NIST should say, this control is not relevant to protecting CUI confidentiality because something. What is the reason why it is not uh, relevant to protecting the confidentiality of CUI? Now, if you, t if you say to yourself, yes, this purple square should be purple. This control is relevant to protecting the confidentiality of CUI. The next question to ask yourself is, is every item of that 853 control relevant to protecting the confidentiality of CUI? If not, why? 
you have to say, because, blah, 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 that should be your comment to NIST, because that tells the peanut butter and jelly sandwich-making robot that this is or is not relevant to CUI confidentiality. If you think that it is relevant, and you think that all the items are relevant, then you move on to the next control, and so on and so forth until you get through all 200 some odd controls that they've deemed to be relevant, and that will change the structure and substance of 800-171 much more than whether or not ODPs happen to be in the control or not. And with that, we'll jump over to 800-172, and then we'll get to some questions. Do you want to start with the chart? Oh, yeah. We've got this other handy-dandy chart with another fun set of colors. Brace yourselves. Everything's More fine. More colors. Everything's fine. Same moderate baseline from 853 Rev 5, right? A lot of people are confused about how 800-172 and 800-171 are related. Like all things, if you've listened to the podcast or listened to any of my presentations, it all goes back to 853. All 800-172 is doing is enhancing 800-171 which is why you'll notice if you look at this chart closely afterwards, most of the orange boxes, the 853 items uh, that are in 800-172 are control enhancements. It's a little hard to see on this chart uh, based up the way it is on the screen, but everything that's outlined and bolded that is purple, anything that's not orange, those are 853 items that are contained in 800-172 that you're already doing with 800-171. The reason that we bring this up is that the distinction between 800-172 and 800-171, they are not distinct, hugely different, wildly separate, very far apart documents, right? It is an arbitrary decision to make them two separate documents. They are talking about the same set of 853 controls, therefore they're talking about the same tailoring process, which means that flowchart from beforehand, do you think it should be orange? Do you think it should be purple? Do you think it should be gray? Do you think it should be not relevant, right? You can use that same process for uh, submitting your comments. If you just say it shouldn't be here because it's expensive, they're going to put the peanut butter on their head and they're going to throw the bread out the window, right? And it's going to end up in the document anyways. Okay. So one of those shades of purple was an overlap between 171 and 172. And then you had the orange, which is the unknown. And we're going to tap into that now. And I'm not going to sit here in front of you and have a whole studio audience, right? And not get some participation going. So what I want you guys to do is I want you to answer. I'm going to say a word, and I want you to tell me out loud what the next thing you think comes to mind is, right? So let's start. High school. That's not what I was looking for. Where do we go after high school? Axe body spray. Sorry, I was late. College. College is close. We were close. But we're looking for college, trade school, military, or civil service, or the workforce. We don't want to bottleneck people into their opportunities. We want anybody to be whatever they want to be, right? We'll go with a little easier one. CMMC level two. What's next? Good job. You guys are on it. Shout, shout out your feelings. It's okay. Out, yeah. We're don't, among don't friends here. here. I'm going to be pretty excited. I'd be, you get excited with me, okay? NIST SP 800-171. What do you think comes next? Oh. <laughs> we were doing so good. So what happens is, is we're programmed, right? We're sitting here and we're thinking, because we have CMMC and we have to meet level two, and the next progressional step is what? Level three. We think automatically, because 172 is attached to CMMC level three, that we need to complete our 800-171 implementations before we even start diving into 172. But if you look at 172 appropriately, you avoid jumping into this never-ending loop that all of us are stuck in, which is you are in the process of your current 800-171 implementation, right? You're figuring out all the stuff, you're getting it all done, 
And this is in the process of releasing a new revision. And Jacob just told you that new revision is going to come with extra work. And eventually that new revision is going to be what? Say it. Required. Then you get in the loop because now your current 800-171 implementation has extra work that's been added into it. And you're chasing a baseline that is confidentiality focused by design and provides basic protections in a world, in a threat landscape that has advanced threats. Anybody see anything? Show me the lie. Let's talk about that some more. Way back when, in 2004, the first cybersecurity alert was released. It came from DHS and MPPD, which at that point in time was a joint task force, and their hobby was cybersecurity. And for progr progressively after that, there were cybersecurity alerts that were released that may have some things that you recognize. Limiting system access, supplying MFA, FIPS validated encryption, we all love that. Well, NIST had a, simultaneously, a simultaneous plan operating at the same time, right? Probably not related, but when you look at it, you'll see how related it is. And in August 2016, we got this beautiful piece of scripture from the prophets. <laughs> and it was 171, and what did it contain? It contained MFA, FIPS validated encryption, system access limitations, identifying users. There's a, there's a theme here, right? That was until 2019. And in 2019, CISA, only a year old after that point because it came about from the CISA Act of 2018, CISA starts releasing more focused cybersecurity alerts based on nation state actors and advanced persistent threats that contain things like network segmentation. These were the recommendations to combat these adversaries. Granular system access, conditional access policies, and integrity verifications were the things that they were asking you to do. Raise your hand if you see that in 171. NIST had a plan. They released a baseline, 800-171B, the baseline for 800-171 for critical and high-value targets. The goal of this was to apply these things that were missing from the security baseline. Anybody ever heard of 171B? You probably have, because it was repurposed OGs a year remember. later. What's that? I said OGs remember. The real OGs, right? The people that have been there since the beginning. It was repurposed as 172, and it is what we know today. And that was part of NIST's plan. So what is this plan? What is inside of this document, right? Your minimum security baseline is contained within 800-171. You've unlocked that achievement. You've implemented everything. What's next? Basic protections, advanced threats. We talked about the Holy Scripture and the prophets Ross, Pilatari, Ghassani, and all of their friends got together and they were like, we need to, comp you know, we need to make up for this gap and what we are re being recommended by CISA and what we are providing as requirements and a standard for these organizations to implement to protect their systems. And what it, essentially it is, is it's 35 security enhancements inside of this guidance, 104 assessment objectives, that's additional work, and it promotes components of a multi-dimensional defense and depth strategy and provides countermeasures against adversaries. And so this is for you to provide those extra layers that Amy was talking about in the last session, those extra layers of security that Scott Goodwin talked to us about in CS2 Tampa, the extra measures that you can do in order to prevent the bad guys from getting in. They're using the most high-class tools, and you are putting basic protections in there. It's like a paper bag trying to stop a running back. It's good exactly for what, what it I is. Exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. Same, exact, same, exact, 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 exact same one, right? So what exactly is this plan? What is it? 
Well, first and foremost, we know that it was a part of this plan because within 171, within the first five pages of the document, they tell us 171 is strictly for the purpose of this publication is to protect the confidentiality of CUI. That's it. So everybody on their soapbox talking about 800-171 doesn't have integrity and availability, it wasn't the plan. There is no integrity and availability. Drake is not pleased. But part of this plan was to use 172 to make the triad bullying. Jake was, listen, we've it's been going long, back and forth. It's four. a long story, we'll talk about it. Apparently I can't say triad or beignets, right, okay? Anyways, the, the plan from NIST was to give you 172 and to inject confidentiality, integrity, and availability into the cybersecurity program and to provide supplemental guidance to the basic and derived security controls of 171. Put all that together and you have measures to stop APTs. That was the purpose of it. So, in order to understand how beneficial 172 can be for you, you have to understand the shape of 172, right? The benefits that are in the underlying document itself. We already just said that it has confidentiality, it has integrity, it has availability. How much does it have it, Jacob? <laughs> Ed Sheeran? <laughs> Ed Sheeran. Ed Sheeran is gonna tell you about the shape of 172, okay? Greater than 20 times, confidentiality, integrity, and availability are impacted by the enhancements of 172. Greater than 20. But that's not all that you get. We just mentioned it. It also contributes to a multi-dimensional defense and depth strategy component. Every single enhancement has a purpose to serve one of these goals. To provide penetration-resistant architecture, there's 19 enhancements. Those 19 enhancements are strictly designed to stop adversaries from gaining and compromising your system or maintaining persistent presence. There's an 11 enhancements. Those enhancements are for damage limiting operations. If they happen to get in, let's limit the amount of damage they can do to your system, right? The amount of stuff that you have to clean up. And if they get in and they do things that you're gonna eventually have to clean up, there's two enhancements, only two, for resiliency that is gonna allow your organization to bounce back from that, right? And then the last thing, we said, 172 is designed to help you fight back. Provide countermeasures against your adversaries. So much so that there are five different countermeasures that each one of these enhancements should contribute to, and they can contribute to more than one. They may redirect, preclude, impede, limit, or expose. This is the shape of the benefits of 172, but this isn't the full understanding of 172 I want you to get from this presentation, right? So, I almost did it. I almost did it. Yeah, I almost hit the back button. It was, it was there are only two buttons on this clicker, and it's, it's, it's a running joke at all CS2s that it's way too complicated. So, I'm going to start this by saying that what I say after this does not directly represent the DOD or any of those intents and purposes. And this is strictly my belief based off of what I know. Did I get it right, Matt? Yes. All right, so what about who is going to adopt this, right? First, there's going to be organizations that are going to be required to adopt it, at least 1,500 of them by estimations. And we think that if you want to figure out if you're going to need a CMMC Level 3 assessment and you're going to have to meet these requirements, think if you've had a DIPCAC high assessment within the past couple of years. And more than likely, those are the people that they're going to target to have it. But that shouldn't be the only reason why you look at these enhancements to improve your organization. Level 3 takes and contractually required by 7021, 24 of those enhancements from 172 and makes them verifiable requirements to achieve certification. That's based off the 
off the leak, right? That's off the leak. Seen, yeah. We saw it. I know that we're not supposed to see it. It may change, but we've seen it. Right. And what we've seen was they have to submit. So we're, we you know, they have to submit the documents to OIRA to go into the rule, and the documents got accidentally published, and they're like, no, no, those right. aren't the documents that we officially submitted to be published in the matter of a month or so. That's not real. We, it's so, like, okay, it's probably pretty close. But if you're not one of those 1,500 organizations, potentially, that's required to do this, all that cool security stuff that we just talked about and all those benefits, do we think that it's going to be enough to go to, I don't know, the management of your organization and be like, we got to do this? You're going to be like, security's cool. Defense in depth, cool, right? That's a lot of extra work. What about the extra money? Bear with me. I said there was levels to this NIST. And the levels go further and deeper into the purpose and applicability. As you read deeper and further into 172, I want you to take a minute while I take a drink and take we a breath. We have to go deeper. Well, just as you take a drink of water, the thing that you mentioned earlier that always jumps out to me is one of the arguments that people will say is they'll go, CMMC doesn't stop advanced persistent threats. And then they will also say CMMC is too expensive. And I don't know if anybody knows anything about, you know, once you start really stepping up levels of technology, but it, it, it costs some amount of right. money, and so it, it does feel slightly contradictory. They are both true statements, where you're like, 171 isn't tailored or designed to deal with advanced persistent threats, so okay, like sure. I'll concede that to you, but if 171 is obviously, and there will probably be questions about this, if 171 is already a back-breaking burden, and the people who it is a burden for want to be able to stop advanced threats, then we uh, have a situation on our hands, right? Strap in, big yeah. fella. <laughs> so read it. And what this says is, I'll sum it up for you. I wish Pee Wee could pop out. Ah, you right? said it, everybody. Yeah, so. I said it. Once an episode, it has to happen. But what this says is that NIST standards are for the people, and the people can adopt these standards and use them as they please. There's no one telling you that you're not allowed to use this or how you should use it. They're just telling you that it's here, this is what it does, and you pull the things that you want or find beneficial from it. What it doesn't tell you, and what is the most important part, is when you're supposed to use it. There's nothing in here that says that you have to do this immediately after 172. And if you read it and you start understanding it, you'll realize why. In order to, do, to understand when you're supposed to use it, the most important part is to understand its relationship between 172. Not just that it completely maps back to 853, because it does, but it maps back differently. But knowing the base controls that it maps back to is going to be the key to unlocking its full potential. The other thing that's very, very important, if you've read in this standard, and this drives me absolutely nuts, I think, Jacob, it drives you nuts too, is that in 171 and 172, which are directly related, the control identifiers don't always align. That's Let me tell you what I'm talking about. That's why about. I lost my hair. It is. That's the reason. And that's why your neck's very That's big. the reason, yeah. So if you look and you're like, wow, this guy's really saying some cool stuff. Let me pull up 172. And you look at 311 and 800-171, which has something to do with limiting system access to users, processes, or devices, right? You would automatically assume, because we're programmed, 311E, if it pertains to it, the enhancement, that it probably has something to do with being more secure when limiting system access, right? Wrong again. That's why it's important for you to know the root to 853, because when aligned, enhancements can positively impact implementation strategy and potential outcomes of one or more than one 800-171 practices. Look one control or one enhancement later, and the one enhancement later tells you that you need to restrict system access, so you're limiting that system access, but now it's the only devices that are owned and known by the organization. 
a more granular, an extra layer of security, an extra way to reduce the attack surface, things of that nature. And just to, just to reiterate this point, I know it's small on this slide, 3.1.1 in 800.171 is not enhanced by 3.1.1e in 800 3.1.1 is enhanced by 3.1.2e. Right. This is easy. Well, of course, of course. I know NIST will be watching this after it gets posted. <clears throat> please don't do that anymore. Like, please just normalize the control identifiers, please. It, it was a, I, I've been lucky enough to work with you long enough. And one of the things that, if you've listened to Jacob Horn talk, he beats to a drum. You cannot understand NIST SB 800-171 without reading what? You can answer it, buddy, go ahead. Uh, 853? Uh, you know, well, you have that too, but 171A, right? Okay. Is the key to unlocking yeah. what 171 I didn't even get it right. I didn't even right. <laughs> even I messed it up. This, this is not going to plan. <laughs> so it was that conversation and that thought process, and then another conversation with a good friend and a friend of the show, Ryan Bonner from DevCert, which really opened up a lot of doors and got me spinning this wheel. And this wheel was understanding the relationship is more valuable than it seems. You may, everybody remembers the Lion King, right? This is an iconic scene of the Lion King. If you just listen to what I said and you are still looking at 172 as, oh cool, defense in depth strategies, adversary countermeasures, but you're also looking at it as 35 additional implementations on top of the 110 or however many that come along with 171 revision three, and you're looking at it as 104 additional things that you're going to have to do in order to get up to this standard that this guy's up on stage talking about with the bearded dude, you're not looking hard enough. And I'm gonna ask you, like Rafiki asked Simba to look in the water, to look a little bit harder. That was a long transition. Wow. But listen, it played out much better when we were building the slide deck. And if you take 172 and you look harder, you no longer see Simba or 171 or extra work. You see 29 enhancements out of the 35 possible that improve your 800-171 implementations. When we get to Rev3, guess how that number jumps up to 32. 32 of these enhancements are going to be leveraged to better your, enhance, uh, better your implementation 800-171. 20 of these enhancements apply to CMMC level three requirements. We're talking about level two. Why not get a jump start on level three and make your life a whole lot easier? And then because I work for Summit 7 and we are a Microsoft partner, let's throw the Microsoft stuff out there. It's pretty impressive because 18 of the enhancements within NIST 800-172 can be Microsoft 365 E5 licenses offer a capability or a feature that can be leveraged to meet it. I'm not saying you buy a 365 E5, right? And all of a sudden you've got 18 172 controls. It doesn't work that way. But if you take those capabilities and features and you use them the right way, you are going to be in a good position. All right, so we talked about the shape of 172 and the true benefits. But if you follow this pathway that I'm discussing and you go through this process the way in which I'm discussing it, what you will see is not only do you get all of the Ed Sheeran shape of 172 benefits, right? But you get them in this nice package. And this nice package makes your 800-171 implementation potentially better, potentially faster, and potentially more cost, uh, more cost efficient. Do I have your attention now? They're shaking heads. I, was, I thought it was gonna be audible. I thought people were gonna be like, yeah! All right, listen, <laughs> yeah. I get it. Can you imagine? All right. 
But it's important to understand that I'm not saying that you're going to look at every single 172 enhancement and you are going to look at the assessment objectives attached to 172A and it is going to be better, faster, cheaper, it's going to be easier. One time, one guy got up on stage and he said, CMMC is going to cost you $28. He still to this day hasn't lived it down. I'm not going to be that guy. I, I'm not that guy. I'm not going to be that Just guy. Just to either. let everybody know, I did not say that. <laughs> so let me explain, because you probably think I'm crazy, right? You can raise your hand. Be honest. Do you think I'm crazy? You think I'm crazy? Damn, man. I said better. I said faster. How's that possible? This is 313. Probably my favorite control within 171, if I'm being partial, data-centric standard. <laughs> Controlling data flow sounds pretty important to me. And it requires you to do what? It requires you to limit the flow of CUI throughout the environment and manage and limit the scope, right? And it has a bunch of asks that you have to do, like identifying the policies and the mechanisms which you're going to be using to enforce it, the flow authorizations and the locations it has to go. Anybody in the audience, how are you going to do that? A lot of organizations are probably going to put some manual process in place before resulting to technology. Manual processes are great, except for a majority of the time, as was mentioned on the panel before us, they lump in people that probably aren't doing data flow control policies. It's usually Judy from HR, and Judy from HR has no clue how this works. Other people will leverage technology. And that's funny you say that, because that's what the enhancement is. It's saying leverage technology to do this. And if you look at the assessment objectives in the enhancements, when you start to answer those assessment objectives, it's crazy the assessment objectives in 171 that it starts to answer for you as well. So let's think. I got a Microsoft 365 E5 license. I want to leverage, I don't know, Microsoft Purview Information Protection. So I leverage Purview Information Protection, and I leverage it to the full teeth. DLP on the endpoints, Chrome, Firefox, and on-premises. Information barriers to the fullest extent, information rights management to the fullest extent, and Defender for Cloud Apps, because cloud apps are important. And CUI goes through those too. I start answering questions from the assessment mechanisms of 171. Well, as I'm implementing that, and I'm only talking about if you're going to do this the right way. No half-assed implementations party, block that out. But if you're gonna go full standard and you're gonna do this the way it's supposed to be to protect your organization, you're probably gonna go through and with those MPIP capabilities, you're gonna do things like, I don't know, DLP policies, identifying data sensitivity, identifying locations and authorizations for it to transcend. And crazy enough, the things that you're doing to implement this enhancement are answering all of the questions that you need to do. Just please write down the answers so that it's a continual and sustainable process. Don't just have some really smart tech person implement DLP policies for you and then leave it and let your DLP solution turn into software, right? You see the explanation is by incorporating the enhancement at the same time that you're planning 171 implementations, what you're realistically doing is providing a more effective, automated, cost-efficient, and reliable approach to implementing this 171 requirement that you're going to have to meet no matter what, right? Eliminate the redundant work. Do it. Do it with something that's sustainable that you can rely on. Now, we've gotten through, okay, well, that makes sense. Those things go together. But every question about CMMC implementation leads to what? Cost. Cost is a real problem. In 172, they tell us that certain, of the, certain enhanced security requirements listed within this standard are going to cost you money. They're specialized skills. And they require specialized people to do them. It makes total sense. But then you start reading through the list, and you're like, threat intelligence, okay, I, 
you know, I get it. That's 172 specific. And then you start thinking threat and adversary hunting, kind of 172 specific. If you're being really, really ambitious in 171, you're doing it. System monitoring and security management sounds like what I'm doing for audit and accountability, kind of, right? What about IT infrastructure platform services? You're probably already doing some sort of that or having some outsource provider do that for you as a part of your implementation for 171 anyways. Same thing with vulnerability and risk assessments. We just add threat into it for 172. And response and recovery, you have an instant response policy that you're responsible for delivering. But let's look at how many of these things actually tie in and would be redundant work. We like to eliminate the redundant work and the use of resources when we don't have to. There's not a lot of them laying around. These four things are already things that 172 is telling you that you need specialized people to do because they are specialized skill sets. You need to hire the pros. These are things highlighted right here that are in 171 that you would already be performing that if you thought about it initially, you're gonna perform it again, right? But 172, the requirements tell us, or the enhancements tell us, you should hire the pros, you should 24 seven SOC, you should have a cybersecurity incident response team, and then when you get those, anyone worth their weight in gold is probably gonna do what? All those things that we're missing. So you are looking, and again, why, why are you laughing, buddy? Well, I was gonna say, she's everywhere. Like, she, she is she's, everywhere, she's, dude. She's NFL, CS2, actually, we, Taylor's taking over, man. She's actually in a box, so. Oh, wow. Yeah, she's, she's in a box at CS2. Um, she's hanging out, I, I don't know. I don't know where you're going with this. I don't know. Seven, right. um, but buy their jerseys, yeah. So. <laughs> Essentially, if you look at it, what happens is, is that if you start thinking about 172, you eliminate the redundant cost. So how would you meet these requirements? This is 361 and 362. This is incident response capabilities and tracking of your incidents from 800-171. What would you do? You'd probably repurpose the existing staff. We talked about that. It's not very successful, because usually Judy from HR, or the lady that's sitting at the front desk, is the person that's your incident commander. Incidents aren't nine to five. Judy works nine to five. Do you think at 3 a.m. when an APT is trying to get into your system, Judy's gonna look at her email and be like, I gotta go to the office. I don't know what I'm gonna do when I'm gonna get there, but I got a binder that has a list that tells me what I'm supposed to do. Or would you trust a professional, especially in the case of an incident, especially in the case of a breach, when time means a lot more than money? Money's the bottom line of it, but time in incidents is probably the most valuable aspect, uh, aspect of it, right? Well. Judy's not good enough, so we'll hire our own internal staff, and the internal staff will be trained in these specialized capabilities. And this is just a quick Google search of, I don't know, just what I thought you, know, you would put together to, to, to meet these requirements internally. And this is a Google search of where I live, Washington, D.C., and uh, the average salaries, low end to higher end, for all of these people. And you put all that together, what is that average? 352, $491,000 a year, right? But that's if you have one person doing it. We just said cybersecurity and incident response is not nine to five. So you would have to have at least two people in each of these, right? And so that's 704,000, 922,000, and that's without the tools that they need to perform the tasks that they're supposed to do, and then healthcare, because if you own a business, you understand healthcare is a little expensive. Or you would go to an external service provider, and most organizations in the DIB are doing that. They're getting a managed security service provider, and that usually comes with a SOC 24-7 capability. That price tag can average, according to Google, don't kill the messenger, $50,000 to $70,000 a year. You could, in the same token, get an instant response as a service or a cybersecurity instant response team between $24,000 and $150,000 per year. Price tag together, 
74,220K annually. Don't kill the messenger, this is just Google, but you can see just from the internal capabilities in developing and from the external capabilities in de developing, it is a more cost-efficient, reliable approach to implement your standards. But that's not just it. Why should you hire the pros? This is the enhancements. The enhancements are SOC 24-7, cybersecurity incident response team that can respond within 24 hours. These, underneath of it, are all the assessment objectives from 171 and 170, or from 171A, which it fulfills. But that's not all you get. If you hire the pros, there's a whole slew of benefits that any MSP with SOC, MSSP with SOC services in their right mind and worth their weight in crap is going to perform them for you, right? Things like monitoring communications at endpoints and at entry locations, right? Scanning for vulnerabilities, doing things like uh, scans of organizational systems. All of these security purpose things that come with an agreement with an MSSP, these are what you're getting by hiring the pros to do it. And if you do that, the price tag is a lot different. You're looking at 74,000 to 220,000 a year. But most importantly, if you use the information that I provided about 172 and you go about the strategy the same way, you no longer have a minimum security baseline, but now you have a modern security baseline with automation and capabilities to keep track, to constantly update and to evolve with the modern threat landscape. Wow. <laughs> Holy product manager, Batman. Yeah. That was really good. Okay, so like we said, gentle intro to very 172. Gentle. Yeah, very gentle. And uh, a quick overview of 171. I think before we break for lunch, Sam, I don't know if there's one or two questions that we want to jump to really fast. We have 15 minutes. So we can do lots of questions. Can we, hold on, can we just say something? We both came in under time. That's never, where's yeah. Dustin? That's, that's a Christmas happened. miracle, everyone. That, that has yeah. never happened. Okay, okay, okay. Listen, we get it. We get it. Producer we Dustin's having a stroke outside that you, we, that you uh, can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, I can't believe it. Yeah. You, start, you go out in public and you start acting nice and your parents are like, this is cool. You know, yeah. like everything's good. He's such an angel. And then you he get is. home. You're yeah, shout out to Dustin. All right, Jim, here we go. One of the problems with a SOC as a service is so many of them are not FedRAMP authorized. Sure. And so we're, when we look at the next revision coming up, we're anticipating that all of the MSPs are going to have to have some FedRAMP. And so I think that's where we stop. And the other thing that keeps coming up consistently throughout your presentation is equity amongst um, the vendors servicing the DOD, right? So uh, when you have a company of 15 people, how are they going to comply? versus a company of uh, 500 people versus 5,000 and so forth and so on, right? Absolutely. And it's always been an unequitable uh, playing field. Uh, also because if you started today, your rates go up and you can't be competitive with somebody tomorrow, right? So, um, and, and so that's why you heard the comment earlier saying, well, just put in the score of 100%. Not that that's right, but what they're doing is they're waiting for essentially an audit to hit or something else to, to hit them and say, okay, well, we'll fight it then. But. Sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, it's, it's a lot like a flat tax, right? And it's a good idea in concept, but the smaller you get, the more regressive the tax becomes. Same thing with a minimum baseline, right? If you have a minimum baseline, the larger you are, the smaller it is. The smaller you are, the larger it gets. DOD has been very consistent that the uh, baseline requirements will not scale down 
based off the size of an organization. And that is probably the heart of the conflict that's running through the ecosystem. Now, you know, like we've talked about before, CMMC gets associated with that problem. And so everyone yells at the CMMC program as if that's the thing that's driving what ends up in the standard. The rule's out, the rule's out. They published it. Battle stations, everybody ready to hear battle stations? Lego Death Star is back in stock. I know you all have an alert. I know you all have an alert. <laughs> it's back. <laughs> Travis Kelsey jerseys are back in stock. Yeah, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, we got one, Scott. Okay, yeah, we've got one from online. Uh, sounds like we're almost through the FEMA alert. All right, so if you meet 172 controls, does it by default cover all the controls from 171? Like, can an org skip 171 and just do 172? Uh, no. So if we flip back, it'll take forever to get back through. That's, we got to go back through Simba. So the, the quick answer is no, right? So uh, at a high level, conceptually, just like we were talking about earlier, 172 enhances 800-171. So implementing 800-172 does not automatically implement 800-171. But like Jason said, what we're glad it, <laughs> they're consistent with their delivery, right? What, like, yeah. What, ja like what Jason was saying uh, is that there is a significant amount of overlap, and so it doesn't It is not necessarily true that you have to go from 171 to 172 because of the fact that, uh, so basically the quick breakdown here, the way that 853 is organized, everything that you see on here that is uh, a control identifier that doesn't have parentheses, that pertains to what is known as a base control. Everything that you see in here that does have parentheses is what is known as a control enhancement. That's exactly what it is, right? The majority of the 853 document is full of enhancements to base controls. And so what you'll notice is the majority of the contents inside of 800-172 are enhancements to base controls. Very little of 800-172 are new, net new base controls. And so if you implemented just the orange, you clearly will not have implemented all of the purple. If, if you look in 172 and you try to implement 172 control and you haven't done 171, you're going to be like, what is this? Yeah. Now there are, like Jason was saying, a lot of reasons why you want to tackle 172 in conjunction or in parallel rather than in sequence because of the fact that they are enhancing those base controls. And a lot of times there are technologies out there that facilitate the 172 enhancements in such a way that it rolls back into 800-171. But just doing 172, just doing level uh, CMMC level three does not give you all of the purple squares. I think one of the things that, and shame on me for not touching on it, is all of the automation capabilities that really 172 requires you to establish and what it does is we always talk about workflow burden, right? Burden of, uh, of resources being able to achieve the process tasks on the back end. And a lot of what you see in the theme of 172 is applying technology and leveraging technology to try to eliminate some of that burden and try not to overwhelm the people that have to perform these tasks. Okay, we got a, another question right here. This is kind of a comment more than a question, but I would just say to the person who was talking about this before, I mean, I've got clients in the consulting space with 15, 50, 500, 4,000. I mean, we've got them all over the map. Um, the sales cycle for this is long. It's not as short. Like, if you come from MSP world, you're looking at 
maybe a month for a close, you know, sales cycle for a closing. This is a long one, right? It can be three, four, six months we've seen for some of these. Um, so you have to be patient uh, is my point about that. And we just approach them the same way, maybe with different solutions in mind, right? And different products in mind with it, but we approach it the same way. That's my experience. You got one up here in front. Turn. There we go. All right, Jacob, come to you. Uh, let's do this one, and then that's the last one. Yeah, oh, sounds good. Sorry about that. A fellow Jacob H. here. Presenting tomorrow, everyone, Jacob Hill. Thank you. Yeah, I just wanted to make a quick comment about uh, 800 r 3 the draft. Uh, I think one of the more interesting controls that was added um, in we'll see if it survives, was the independent assessment uh, control. And then also one I'm hoping that was tailored out that comes back is information retention. Are we supposed to keep the CUI forever, you know? Yeah, yeah, so to the point, right, if anybody looked at the draft, there's a control in there that exists in 853. 853 is a catalog that you select from in order to build these baselines for independent assessment. And NIST pinky promised that they weren't going to make assumptions anymore about what companies are already doing. And what do they do? They include a control that says, clearly you have a, your own in-house independent assessment requirement. No, we don't. That's why CMMC exists. That's why we're having this conversation for the last three years is because people aren't doing their own internal verification of they that control, are, right? Now, the interpretation of that control is probably caused quite a bit of public comments uh, to come out on the draft, but uh, I think it goes back to that flowchart that we had up here earlier. See if I can find it. I can't, whatever. Okay, so when you have the slides, just look at the flowchart. If you see something that gets tailored into the baseline, like independent assessment, first question to ask yourself, does independent assessment have anything to do with directly protecting the confidentiality of CUI? Yes, no. If no, why not, right? You have to tell them to put the peanut butter on the bread. Right? This does not have anything to do with protecting CUI confidentiality. If they have changed any of these colors from a different color to purple, right? you have to explain why it does not or why it does pertain to CUI confidentiality. And I think that if uh, we can see more public comments along those lines in the next comment period, that will result in, hopefully, depending on what, whose side you're on, a smaller baseline that needs to be enhanced by CMMC. Just as like a closing thought, if you are expecting to submit a public comment on the CMMC program rule about the coloring and NIST's categorization decisions in 800-171, you are wasting your time because the CMMC program office has nothing to do with how these controls in 853 get colored, which is how they show up in 171 and 171A, which is how they end up being assessed by CMMC. You must tell NIST why, you must tell NIST why, we said too much, NIST is coming after us, the alarms are going off. Can we, can we just point out <laughs> the fact that whoever's phone that is, everybody else is safe. Yeah. And I don't yeah. know what you are. you're doing. <laughs> FEMA is very worried about you. Yeah. Okay, so that's what I would say. Check that flow chart. Also check the references that Jason has for 800-172. Inevitably, because they are revising the entire CUI series, once we get done with 171 and 171A, you will almost certainly see drafts of 172 172A, exact same process pertains to both. Uh, it is different from CMMC rulemaking, but it's lunchtime, and that's my favorite thing to talk about at lunch. lunch. So we'll talk about rulemaking at lunch, everybody. I love it, yeah, let's Yay. give them a round of applause. <laughs>